Good morning, everyone. Everybody connecting online, welcome. We are celebrating the greatest event in human history, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are joining churches all around the world who for centuries have made this day the rallying call of the church, the rallying call of those who claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives. And we have every reason for this to be the day, this to be the event that we have as our rallying call. Today, we understand that it was the love of God that led to this celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was the love of God that, that brought him here to start with. It was the love of God that allowed him to live and set that example for us. It was the love of God that knew even before the foundation of the earth that if he sent Jesus here, he was going to be taken and beaten and crucified and put in that tomb. And he planned before the foundation of the world that he would allow Jesus, his only son, to go through that for us. Today is not only the celebration of the resurrection. Today we begin a powerful new message series based on the fact that God's love reigns. It reigns supreme. And we can live in the hope of Easter every day of our lives all year long. We can have that hope in us, empowering us, giving us the hope that we need to, to face whatever we face, knowing that there is a victory waiting on the other side. Friends, love is powerful. It is the most powerful force in the universe. I mean, how many of us in here can tell of something crazy we did because of love, right? We, we've done some crazy things. And I, I know when I first met my wife, uh, she, she wasn't interested in me at all. And I was in school at the University of Georgia, go dogs. And I was playing in a rock band and I had long hair and I looked like I didn't really fit with the preacher's daughter. And her mother thought that for sure. <laughs> but because of love, I just knew I needed to see this girl and be with this girl. And, uh, and I eventually would marry this girl and I would burn up the road between my hometown and Athens, Georgia and go back and forth. And I would skip classes and I would, I would, <laughs> I would show up at her door and knock on the door. And her mother would slam the door in my face and say, you need to leave. And I would keep coming back. Because love is powerful. You do crazy things because of love. It reminds me of the legend of the man who fell madly in love with a princess that he saw. And he just knew she was the one for him. But he wanted to ask her to marry him. But, but a wicked witch had put a spell on him where he could only say one word every year. But she would allow him, if he didn't use that word that year, to save it up for the next year and so on. So he thought through, how can I propose? What am I going to say? And he got in his head what he wanted to say. It was 14 words. Started out longer. He kept whittling it down, but he could only get it down to 14 words. So finally, he waited 14 years to ask this princess to marry him. Finally, the time was up and accumulating all those words, the big day arrived and he sees her in his heart it's just pounding and it skips beats and he gathers his nerve and he walks up to her and he gets down on his knee and he says this, my darling, I've waited many years to say this. Will you marry me? And she turned and looked at him right in his eyes and said, I'm sorry, did you say something? <laughs> Man, love is powerful, isn't it? We do crazy things. And here's the thing. 
It is that power of love that drove God to do amazing things for us. You see, there could be no Easter Resurrection Sunday without the Good Friday crucifixion. There could be no celebration of new life without death occurring first. And it was love. It was love that caused God to formulate that plan for us, knowing that we would fall into sin, knowing that we would rebel, knowing that we would turn our backs on him, even knowing that we would spit in the face of his son and nail him to a tree. Love drove him. His love for us motivated him to the point that he would send Jesus here to die for us. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that really separates Jesus out from all the others as someone who is worthy of our love. It's his love for us that should motivate in us that response of love for him. And friends, I want to I want to focus on three particular things about that love today and in the reign of that love of God in the world. And the first one is this. We all need to understand this when it comes to our lives, how we're going to live our lives. There can only be one king. There can only be one king. You can't have a divided kingdom and stand. It's, it's only going to be one king in our lives. For 33 years, Jesus walked on the earth in the flesh and he did some amazing things, didn't he? He healed the sick and he, and he, he caused the lame to walk. Right? He, gave, he gave sight back to the blind. He did all these amazing, he even raised some people from the dead and people witnessed it and they, they, they started to, to follow Jesus and crowds began to build. And here's the problem at that time, Rome was ruling the area where Jesus walked. And Rome had installed this vassal king, Herod the Great, as the king over these Jews in Israel to try to keep the peace and keep order in Israel. But when he, he put Herod in that position, Herod was, was an awful person. He, he was ruthless and he was paranoid about his position as king. And he saw Jesus becoming more popular. And he heard people beginning to speak of him as king. And he heard that people were trying to make him establish his kingdom here on earth. He heard the prophecies about one who was coming to be king. And people were saying, this Jesus is fulfilling those prophecies. And Herod knew there could only be one king. And he decided to do something about it. He decided that there was not room for him and Jesus. And so in conjunction with the, the Roman government and, and the Roman soldiers. He had Jesus arrested and he put him on this trial and it was a mockery of a trial. It was totally, totally dishonest in every way that they did it, but, but they were able to railroad it through and convict Jesus. The only crime that they could convict him of was that he claimed to be God. He claimed to be God. And for that, they crucified him. You see, when it comes to this concept that there can only be one king, Herod is not the only one who struggles with this. Every one of us struggles with it too. Every one of us struggles with who gets to rule us. Who, whose authority do we come under? Are we just free agents to just rule ourselves? Is that the choice we're going to make? Or is there someone worthy? 
Is there someone who, who has the right to the authority and the power and the rule over our lives? Is there someone else who should be king of our own lives? Jesus was forced to carry a cross and be nailed to it. Let's look at Matthew's account in Matthew 27. We're just going to read part of the account here, beginning with verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Serene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. They offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from that cross if you're the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. They nailed a sign up on the cross above Jesus' head that said, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. They did it mocking, ridiculing. Not a one of them believed Jesus was the king that was responsible for nailing him to that cross. And I think part of the reason is that even the Jews did not recognize him as the king that God would send for them is this. He didn't do things the way they thought he should. He didn't fit their mold. He didn't fit their idea of what the king, the Messiah, was supposed to be. He, he didn't do it the way they thought their king would do it. They wanted Jesus to prove himself. Even hanging on the cross, what did they say? If you are the son of God, do what? Perform this magic act. Come down off the cross. Then, then maybe we'll believe that you're really the king. And people today are doing the same thing. Well, if God's really God, if Jesus is really king and Lord, then why does he do this for me? Why doesn't he do that for my family? Why doesn't he perform this act? Why doesn't he prove that he's king? Well, see, here's what Jesus knew. No one was going to be convinced by any magic tricks. He had already done miracles like no one else had ever done. He'd already performed those, those miracles that people were eyewitnesses to over and over again. And still they were questioning who this guy was. You see, he knew he wasn't going to prove he was worthy to be king by coming off the cross. He knew that he was going to prove to be king by staying on the cross and going into the grave and rising again. Because that power, friends, is a power no other leader, no other teacher, no other ruler, no other philosopher, no other idol had been able to perform ever. See, Jesus knew it wasn't going to be by the miracles that they had seen already that people would believe. It was going to be something that was more powerful. 
and it would have more effect for everyone in the world than anything that had ever been done before. He knew it was going to require a resurrection. So maybe you're one of those people that today is saying, well, I might believe in Jesus if, if he did this or if he did that, then, then maybe I would believe. Friends, stop and think, what more could he do than what he's already done by rising from the dead? What better proof could he possibly give than what he's already done by rising from the dead? But we struggle with that control, don't we? Giving up the control. Watch this video clip. Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. Kathleen, guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. Oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to oh. go with me? No. <laughs> no? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, oh. So let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. <laughs> Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Uh, there's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay, okay. so let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, see, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh, I, well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. Well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This I, isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I just, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. You see, friends, when Jesus really is in that seat of authority in our lives, then his love reigns supreme over everything else. When we know that he has every right to that position, to that place in our lives, then we submit to him as king. And king means ruler. It means he gets to have the authority and all the decisions that we make. But the amazing thing is, is we are submitting to a king who has demonstrated beyond any shadow of a doubt how much he loves us and only wants what's best for us. That's why when you understand that about this king, it's much easier to come under him as king, as Lord, as ruler of your life. Some of his teachings may not be what we would naturally be inclined to do, but we know they're there out of the fact that his love reigns for us. He wants only what would bless us and bless others through us. Now, here's the thing. If Jesus is dead, none of this matters. Doesn't matter at all. You don't even need to consider him as king. 
There's no reason to consider him as king if he's dead. But if Jesus is alive, if he did rise from the dead, then that changes everything. And he is the one true king above all the others. You have to decide. There can only be one king. Well, the second thing I want us to see today about God's love reigning is that this is the love that actually conquered death. This is the love that actually conquered death. I, I do this a lot here at Lakeshore. I want to do the survey one more time, okay? I, I just want you to know the, the, the results of the survey. The death rate in America is what? 100%. That's right. If there is a love that conquers death, how many of us need to know that love? Every one of us. If there is a love that truly conquers death, we all need that love, that answer, because we will all die. We will all face that. And everybody we love is going to face that. Jesus, on the third day after they hung him on that cross, started appearing to people. People who had nothing to gain and everything to lose by claiming that they saw Jesus alive. He appeared first to his disciples in this upper room where the door was locked and all of a sudden he's there, right? He appeared in the garden as the women came there. I mean, there are different accounts of all these different appearances. He appeared to over 500 people at one time, it says. And he had, he had breakfast with his disciples on the beach as they brought in the fish, right? Grilled them out there on the beach and ate with them. He allowed Thomas to reach in and touch his hands and his side. Jesus conquered death. And friends, the evidence for it is overwhelming. I, I still hear critics using these lame arguments that hold no water whatsoever. When the evidence points to only one thing, Jesus really did rise from the dead. I'm not going to spend all the time today on all the evidence. There's plenty of, of opportunity for you to go and look for yourselves and share it with others. It's out there. But, but the greatest evidence to me is that those who had the most to lose began to proclaim Jesus is alive again. Those that had the greatest risk for saying it stuck to their guns and proclaimed Jesus is alive. Knowing it risked their lives to do so. And Jesus continued to bless them and show himself to be the one and only true king. There's a, a story that's true of, a, of an artist that uh, was famous back in the 1800s. And, and this artist was a French artist. And he, he said that he lost his passport, his, his identification uh, at that time, and he was trying to travel from one country to another in Europe, and they were guards there at the at the check-in post where he had to identify himself, and he didn't have any authoritative identification with him. And the guard said to him, "This is uh, an artist named Dore," and they said to Dore, "We don't know who you are." And he says, "Well, well, you know my name. You know the artist Dore. That's who I am. I, I'm that artist." And they said, "Well, lots of people claim to be who they're not. Lots of people claim to be somebody they're not, so they could get across the border. How we, we need some way to prove who you are." He said, "Here's what we'll do. We'll give you a test." And he handed Dore a, a sheet of paper and a pencil. And he said, "We want you to sketch those people standing over there for us." 
And he so quickly sketched it, and it was so beautiful, and the work was so precise and so great, they knew right away this had to be the real deal, right? You see, his work backed up his word. And that's exactly what we see with Jesus. His work confirmed his word. What he was able to do, no one else has ever been able to do before or since. Love reigns because that love in Christ conquered death. Jesus, Jesus is the one who fulfilled God's message of love for us. You know the famous passage, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You know the verse, and the verse is quoted, and they put it on signs at ball games, and you see it everywhere. But here's the thing. It's one thing to know the verse. It's one thing to memorize it, to be able to quote it. It's another thing to understand that that is the very love that in Christ conquers death for us. He so loved the world that he sent Jesus here. When it says he sent him here, it means he sent him here to bleed and die on the cross for us so that he could prove that real love, his love, conquers even death itself. And, and the reason it's so important, remember, is we all sin, and the wages of sin is death, so we need, we need some way to conquer sin and death. Jesus gives us the only real option, his love for us. It's the only real option to conquer sin and death in our lives. God so loved us. But here's the amazing thing. God's love demonstrated in Christ that conquers death. He doesn't want us to know that and receive that and experience that without doing something with it. He wants us to share it with others. He wants us to communicate that love and that offer of a love that conquers death to the world. Jesus' last words before ascending back to the Father to his disciples are found in Matthew 28. Let's look there. In Matthew 28, beginning with verse 18. It says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It's often called the Great Commission. It is the commission that God has called us to in Christ. See, if we know Christ and we know his love and we know that we've got that power in us that conquers sin and conquers death, then we have to know the love of God goes beyond that to everyone in the world. He wants everyone to hear this good news. He wants everyone to be led to follow after Jesus. I love the command to go and make disciples. Why should we risk Ridicule? Why should we risk rejection? Why should we risk losing friends maybe to try to, to communicate this love to them and, and bring them to follow Jesus? Why should we do that? It's because Jesus has demonstrated he has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's why. You see, the resurrection is more than just say, Jesus saying, I have authority. The resurrection is Jesus exercising that authority proving that authority. He says, all authority has been given to me 
in heaven and on earth. And on earth, the most powerful thing, the worst thing, the hardest thing anybody can do to us is what? Just kill us. And Jesus has proven there is no power or force on earth that I don't have authority over. I have authority over all things on the earth, including death itself. And so he says, with that authority, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and make disciples. Now, that word disciple is a beautiful word. It means a disciplined follower of a teacher. So we, when we come to know Jesus, when we say, all right, Jesus, you can be the king of my life. You can be the ruler. I will follow your teachings. Then we have become a disciple of Jesus when we start following him that way. And here's the job of a disciple is to learn what the teacher has to teach and apply it to their lives. And the goal of every disciple is to grow up to be like their teacher. And so Jesus says, if you're my disciples, then that's your process. That's what you need to be doing is learning and growing into the image of Jesus himself. So that's the first part of our job. But here's the other thing he wants disciples to be doing. You see, he wants us to be disciples who also make disciples. In the church in America, the average member of the church in America has not led anyone else to follow Jesus. And we wonder why the church is declining. We wonder why we're not gaining ground in America. We wonder why we are losing some of that influence of the church in America. It's because disciples aren't making disciples. If we believe Jesus has all authority and he rules in our lives and he says, go and make disciples, what should we be doing? Making disciples. It's scary, I know. It's hard, I know. But here's what you have to know. He also gave them a promise at the end of that command. And I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You're not doing this alone. He didn't command you to go and make disciples by your own wisdom and your own wit and your own ability to reason with people. That's not what he said. He said, go and make disciples and I'm going to be with you the whole time. In fact, he says, I'm not going to be, just be with you. Here's what he promised. He said, I will be in you. You see, he promised to give us his spirit, to dwell in us, to empower us and help us be those witnesses that he's called us to be. We've got to move beyond just getting ourselves in church, attending church services, to being disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's the real goal of the church. That's the real goal of Christ followers. When we understand what Christ has commanded us to do, it's that God would use us to bring other people to follow Jesus. And I hear this excuse all the time. I want to mention it one more time. Well, yeah, I understand that. And I just, I witness by my example. And that's how I'm going to bring people to Jesus. And that's a good start. In fact, it's the only way to start. If you're not following Jesus, you can't bring anybody else to follow Jesus. But here's the problem with that example. You'll go to your grave and people might say, what a great person. They were such good. They give you the shirt off their back. They're wonderful people. But you haven't led anybody to Jesus. You actually have to talk to them about Jesus. You actually have to share the good news that Jesus is the king who conquers sin and death. If you never get there with them, they never know to take that step to become a disciple of Jesus.
It can't be just I lived a good life and set a good example. There's got to be I told people about Jesus and helped them learn to follow Jesus too. You see, the goal of the disciple is to become like the teacher. If you're not teaching, you haven't become like the teacher. If you're not telling, if you're not sharing, you have not yet become like the teacher. Disciples need to become like the teacher. And Jesus was known primarily as rabbi, teacher. So let's teach Jesus. Let's teach his word. Let's teach his way, which leads to the last thing. And that's this. We need to let love reign in us. Let love reign in you. Today, if you consider yourself a Christian, you're part of, you should be part then of making disciples. You should be part of, of bringing other people to follow him. But it's a lifelong process. You see, just because we're sharing and teaching, it doesn't mean we stop learning. It doesn't mean we stop growing as, as disciples ourselves. That's a lifelong process. To be a disciple is to be in this lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus. And that's part of what it means to let his love reign in us is we continue to learn. We continue to grow. We continue to be born more into the image of our teacher. Jesus, as I said, promised that he would be with us always in this. I love the fulfillment of that promise because I'm convinced today listening to this message, there are two categories really of people. One is people who never decided to make Jesus that king for their lives. There are people listening today who, for whatever reason, maybe Jesus wasn't what they wanted him to be, maybe he's not doing what they want him to do, but for whatever reason, they are not taking that step of making Jesus the Lord of their lives. I want to invite you to consider what Jesus has already done and reconsider whether or not there's any other option for you that has done what Jesus has done. I'm not saying there aren't other good teachers. There are. I'm not saying there are not other good teachings out there. there. There's some good teaching out there other than Christianity. There is. I don't think it quite matches up to Christianity in a lot of ways, but there's some good teaching out there, some good philosophy out there. But there's only one teacher whose love conquered sin and death. So you have to make the choice who's going to be the king, who's going to be the teacher that you listen to and follow and allow to have authority and influence in your life. But I want to invite you to offer Jesus your heart. Offer him your love. Accept his love for you by responding with your love for him. Now, people sometimes will say, well, I want to do that, but I'm not sure what steps to take. I'm not sure how to do it. Well, it begins with making that choice that you believe that Jesus is worthy to be your king. If you believe that, then there's a response in Scripture that he calls for. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 38, we see where Peter has preached the first gospel sermon that's ever been preached. And the people heard the message about Jesus. And you know what the primary part of the message Jesus, uh, that Peter preached that day was? You took Jesus and nailed him to a cross, but God raised him from the dead. That's, that's the summary of the sermon that day. You and your sin nailed Jesus to the cross, but God raised him from the dead and made this Jesus both Lord and Christ, ruler and Messiah, Savior. And here's what it says. It says the people who heard this message, they asked, in verse 38, they asked Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So if you're listening today and you've not made that choice yet, 
to allow Jesus to rule as king in your life, then here's, if you want to know what to do, I'm just going to quote Peter. I'm not going to make up my own plan. We're not going to have a denominational plan and steps to take. We're just going to quote Peter here. Peter is speaking to people who believe the message about Jesus. And here's what he says you do next. Repent. Repent means to turn from your sin. Turn from your former life. And, and what are you turning to if you turn away from that? It's not just saying, I'm not going to keep doing that bad stuff anymore. That's not what repentance is. It, it's more than that. It's not only am I turning away from that, I'm going to turn to the teachings of the one I say will be my king now. I'm going to turn to listening and learning and following him. You remember the Great Commission? He said, go and make disciples. And what was part of it? Baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Peter says, all right, he wants to make disciples of these people. So he says, repent. And then he says also, oh, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's another step in the process. Now, why is baptism a big deal? It's because it shows, it's the first act that shows you accept his lordship over you. You accept his kingship in your life. You're willing to submit to his authority when he says be baptized. If he's king, what do you do? You get baptized. You don't argue about it. You don't, you don't negotiate with him why you shouldn't have to do that if he's king. His command is what you submit to. So you were baptized and baptism was being buried in the water. It, it, it's a union with, with Christ and symbolically in his own death, burial and resurrection. That's where the power of love that conquers death is. It's in the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. And when you're baptized, you're buried with him, the scripture says, and you're raised with him, the scripture says, into this new life that he has for you. But here's something else he says. When you do that, God has a gift for you. His spirit. Remember, he said, I'll always be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He actually comes in spirit to indwell us. The scripture teaches us that our bodies are temples, dwelling places of the Holy Spirit of God himself. Here's what else it says. It's the same spirit. Listen, that raised Jesus from the dead that now lives in us. That's the love that conquers death. God is that love and his spirit in us is the power that conquers sin and death in our lives. So I want to invite you to come and receive and, and, and respond to the call of God. But there are other people listening and maybe who've already taken that step. But, but along the way, the, the world and its attractions and temptations has, has led us away from Christ. You see, I believe we still have to choose Jesus as king, not just the day that we respond and get baptized, but it's an ongoing choice. Sometimes we begin to wander away from that decision we made that we're going to allow him to rule and we start trying to get back on the throne again. We start trying to make those decisions for ourselves again. We start thinking we know better sometimes than what God's word really says. But here's the call today. His death, burial, and resurrection also allows us to come back to him in repentance because he said, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Even if we've walked away from him, he's never walked away from any one of us ever. He's right there for you today. He's right here for you. If you're online listening, he's right there for you right now. If you turn back to him again, here's the thing about God's love. It says in scripture, his mercies are new when every morning, every day, they're there for you all the time. Today, you can come back to the grace and the love 
that conquers sin and death for you in your life. Why would you not want a king like Jesus? Let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for your love. A love that is so powerful, it moved you. When you saw us lost in sin, dead in our sins, you saw us suffering in our sin, you would not stand for that. And it motivated you to go to the extreme act of sending Jesus to die on the cross for us and raise him again from the dead, showing that we have hope in him. Father, may we today make that commitment in our lives so that each moment of every day, we can live in the hope of what Easter really means. It means love has conquered. has conquered every obstacle that we're ever going to face. Satan does not win. Sin does not win. Death does not win when we're in Christ. Father, may we claim that love and that resurrection power today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.